Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And if you were with me last week, we had a great discussion with Attorney Jeanne Pequeno regarding failure to pay child support and some other child support issues. This week, we'll continue on with a family law angle, but we'll, uh, we'll take a step back in the process and take a look at how the costs of raising one or more children will be calculated in a custody case. Uh, some very good information here. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and joining me will be Attorney Christina Regal. Christina uh, is an experienced family law attorney at Laval Law Limited, and in the past she has uh, certainly shared with us a great deal of information on a number of different podcasts. So I uh, look forward to having her with us today. And Christina, good afternoon. Nice to talk to you again. Thank you, Jim. Good afternoon to you. Um, so let's uh, let's dive in here, and, and I want to begin the conversation making sure I'm doing the right thing here. So it, would I be correct in assuming that the non-custodial parent in a divorce will almost always be responsible for some share of the financial cost then of raising their child or children? Yes, that is right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that there was a recent case that came down from the appellate court or the Supreme Court saying a parent should – a parent who's caring for a child can actually have to pay child support to a non-custodial parent, but that is an, a unique circumstance that we don't see very often. Okay, so, we've, so I guess we've got that's that. My, so I guess that's my attorney's way of saying it depends. <laughs> you <laughs> but, always like, but, yeah, yeah, you always like to work that in. So uh, that that works right. very well there. Um, so it seems likely then that you know determining those costs has the potential to be. Um, a contentious process, as unfortunately many many parts of the divorce proceeding uh, often turn out to be. Does does the court stick to a, a sort of a standard formula to determine support obligations, or is it really a case by case basis? No, there is a standard formula, and um, there are of course always you know a way to deviate from the standard formula. But that's a rare circumstance where the court would deviate from a standard formula, and and in most, if not in Nearly every case, the standard formula is used. Okay. Well, that's obviously something we we want to talk about then now. Um, Take us through that. Does the calculation cover all possible costs, or do they just start with basic things like housing, clothes, food, you know, those type of things? Well, the calculation of child support really doesn't go by a certain amount of expenses that the child has. What it really, and, and you can probably understand why, a, a parent who has an obligation to support a child, of course we know children, of course we know diapers and formula all cost the same to every single person ha, who has to buy them. However, not every parent's income is the same. Child support is typically set in Illinois, except for those rare circumstances, it's set as a percentage of the paying parent's net income. So um, there's a calculation based on this number of children, this is how much uh, a parent who has to pay child support would pay. And in in the circumstance we're talking about, with one child, it would be 20% of the paying parent's net income. And that does not necessarily take into account how much the parent is spending on groceries versus rent or transportation versus uh, food, really that number is set by statute and the parent is essentially allowed to figure out how they're going to spend the money. 
Okay. And I, I, not to get off course here, and I think we've touched on this in the past, as you, as you referenced the net income figure, um, I suppose then as, as uh, part of the process, uh, when you're dealing with a case as an attorney, you've got to make sure that then the right numbers are being used. Net income, I suppose, uh, you know, can be manipulated different ways, and you've got to make sure you've got the right figure to start with. That's right. Uh, net income is considered to be a person's income, their gross income, less any taxes that they are required to pay or mandatory deductions from their income, let's say union dues or mandatory retirement contributions. So um, in, in the instance that, that someone, let's say someone has you know, a big tax withholding um, because they have a big tax obligation, that, that, you know, that would be considered um, as you know, in calculating the net. However, if they made very high voluntary 401k contributions, that wouldn't be considered part of their net. Even though it would reduce their actual paycheck, it wouldn't reduce their child support obligation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it does. Okay. okay. And and I always like to clarify a few things because, um, you know, I want to make sure we get it clear here. So I, I want to circle back to just something you said a few minutes ago as well, and, and that was that it was based on the net income, not so much calculations or not at all calculations on, you know, food, uh, rent, whatever. So so really the parent who has custody, they receive uh, the support payment, and then it's kind of up to them to determine how that money gets spent. Yes, that's right. And, and, and really, you know, I'm sure you've heard people say, oh, they don't even spend it on the kids. But, I mean, there really are, um, you know, the court is really uh, reluctant to tell a parent how to be spending the child support payments they receive. So uh, I think it's presumed that they're doing the right thing. Um, and just to give you a little bit of a breakdown, Jim, I, I know I covered what, what the percentage of a net income for one child, that's 20%. If there are two children, it would be 28%. And then there's a calculation for other children I can give you if you wanted to know what it was. I don't want to well, well, I assume that, that, too far down know, that road. accelerates all the way up. Um, yes. And does this cover children up till 18 or with their college obligations? Or what's, what's the line that sort of says, okay, after this point you're no longer obligated? Well, parents are obligated until their children reach the age of majority, so the age of 18 or when they graduate high school, the latter of those two. However, if a child attends college, there is an obligation to – the court will assign an obligation to the parents to pay for college to a reasonable amount and to the the child, you know, assuming that the child has the ability to – and, you know, the inclination to attend school. Um, So – you know, if the if the child is is not looking at attending college or doesn't have the interest or, or ability, the court won't obligate the child to attend college. But um, if the child has the academic ability to attend and is admitted, the court will obligate the parent to pay. But then child support to the custodial parent will not continue. the The child support obligation will kind of morph into a college contribution obligation. Hmm. Okay. Now. There are so many things um, that, that run up the cost of raising a child um, beyond the, the diapers and the food and, and everything else that seems to be routine. Um, in many cases, it's driven by the interests and activities, you know, music lessons or activities, fees for sports teams, all those things. Uh, so if, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like the custodial parent sort of decides, well, you know, we're going to put money towards that. And the court stays out of that, and that's that's the parent's decision. And and if the uh, parent who's paying the support has issues with that, does that become then something they they come back and revisit, or is it completely free and up to the the custodial parent to decide? 
Well, what's typical is that a parent with custody, um, you know, a parent with residential custody would um, be paying um, essentially half of extracurricular expenses, and the parent who's paying child support would pay half of the extracurricular expenses on top of that. Okay, so um, let's say a child, you know, uh, a, parent, a paying parent has to pay $300 every two weeks in child support. Uh, on top of that, in addition to that, they would have to pay half of the cost of the flute lessons that the child was participating in or the soccer, the soccer camp that the child was participating in. Those would be separate and additional um, to the support obligation. Um, so there are other expenses like that. Um, such as daycare that would be on top of those expenses that were included in what's known as child support. Okay. Um, chatting with Christina Regal of Lavelle Law Limited today, we're, uh, we're taking a look at the process of determining child support costs in a divorce. Uh, certainly a great deal to cover. We're going to get to as much of it as we can, but uh, uh, often our podcast time limit leaves us short on, on certain topics. So, the, so to that extent, uh, I always invite you to visit LavelleLaw.com where you can get more details on, on the practice and the services offered by one of the largest firms here in the Chicago suburban area. And you can also contact Christina by phone or email. Uh, all the information is available on the website. Um, now, Christina, as we, as we kind of continue on here, you talked about some of these additional costs uh, that, that get factored in. We haven't really talked about health care. Is, is it presumed that the a uh, parent is also obligated to make sure that health coverage is provided, assuming that they're getting that coverage through an employer of some sort. Right. Many times we'll be looking at the parents splitting the cost of the premiums um, and, and the parents splitting the uncovered medical costs. And that would be so an equal split are, between the two? Yes, typically an equal split, unless one party uh, earns so much more than the other that um, that – you know, that wouldn't make sense. You typically see that the um, that they'll be splitting them 50%. Okay. And when we talk about income, um, you know, I think as, as all of us go through career life cycles, uh, in, income fluctuates either uh, through success, hopefully opportunities that come up, or unfortunately at times job loss. And there's also parents who work on a, a commission basis or uh, whose, whose in, income may fluctuate quite a bit from year to year. Does the court have to look at this then on a, on a regular basis to make sure that uh, it's still an equitable amount for both parties? Right. Child support is always modifiable. So if a, if a parent has an obligation to pay and they lose their job, um, the, they, can come back, the, they can come back to court and say, can you reduce my obligation to, um, to accommodate you know, the change in my income? You know, the, of course, the flip side of that is, is is if the non-paying parent feels as though the paying parent has an increase in income, they can also come back to court and say, can you increase my support obligation, increase the other parent's support obligation to account for their new income, you know, 20% of the new number, so to speak, or 28% of the new number. And when that amount is determined for the parent paying support, does the court factor in the amount of income that the custodial parent has? I mean, does it matter if they're making a great deal of money that um, that they would reduce the amount that the, uh, the non-custodial parent has to pay? No, no, that, that wouldn't typically be done. Interesting. Okay. Um, so you, you've dealt, obviously, with many of these cases in, in the practice, and, and um, we've got a minute or two left here. You know, someone going through this process, um, obviously a lot they have to be aware of. 
what what's your general counsel with with people who are trying to help uh, you know reach some some agreement? Obviously, the court determines a lot of it. Um, what should people prepare to go through? Uh, obviously, have some income records, have some records of cost in in raising the children. Um, you know, how do they best go into this situation? Well, the best thing to do when approaching a support case is to basically get as much information as you can. You know, a lot of people who, let's say, if it's just a child support case versus a divorce, they may be in a position to know the other the amount of the other party's paychecks or be in a position to have access to their uh, tax returns. If that's the case, you know, those are those those are the pieces of information that we really need to figure out what the support obligation is. Without that information, we have to go through lots of discovery. With that information, and which can be expensive, but with that information, we can pretty much determine what the amount would be. Because again, these are statutory calculations. We don't really vary from them very often. And, um, you know, the law is the law. Um, So my advice is to know what it is, know how much is in the pot that you're going after, and to know your rights in in that instance. Um, Those are the most important things. Of course, an attorney can help calculate the numbers, but um, it is good to know these basic calculations. You know, three children equals 32% of net income, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more access, the more access to financial information that a person has, the better off we're going to be in figuring out the child support. And then one quick question here: Should a custodial parent remarry? Does that then? This is always one of the things I, I hear, and I don't know if it's a misnomer or not. But does that alleviate any obligation from the parent who, no. is, who is helping with support? No, it doesn't. That would be in the case of alimony, where a parent remarries, and, or a person remarries, and then no longer required to pay the. the other spouses, no, their former spouse is no longer required to pay what used to be known as alimony is now known as maintenance. Interesting. Okay. Well, as always, uh, Christina Regal has provided a great deal of information, but we've got to let her go as we wrap up here. So I want to thank her for being with us. And, of course, thank you for listening uh, as well. I hope you found it uh, to be an informative and useful quarter hour. Uh, as mentioned earlier, visit LavelleLaw.com for more information on this and so many other topics. You can find the attorney profiles there as well as articles and uh, past podcasts. So a great deal of information, and we look forward to having you back with us again next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 